here on the Infinite Unlimited part of the comics syllabus. We read uh, some of the offerings on Marvel Unlimited and DC Universe Infinite and Comixology Unlimited, uh, these comics subscription streaming services, and we bring this comics syllabus lens of examining them for the, um, the rich history, the possibilities of uh, futures that are suggested in these wide-ranging comics stories. So fire up your app, let's dig deep. We start at DC Universe Infinite where um, I've been so hyped lately that in the last few months uh, they've taken the the milestone line that came out in the 90s, this path-breaking revolutionary line of comics um, spearheaded by Dwayne McDuffie and others to present a diverse cast of superheroes, uh, black heroes and heroes uh, of color, heroes of different sexual and gender identities. And at the time, in the early 90s, our culture so much needed the kind of style, the kind of flair, the kind of front and centering of faces and voices too long marginalized in comics. Uh, it felt like a revolution to readers and fans like me. I've been a huge fan of Milestone for a long time. And for a long time, only way you could read it is if you found, collected up the issues in back issue bins or uh, on eBay. Uh, I gathered up all of the the milestone that I could find, had them bound to the, into these volumes, and you couldn't even read, um, you couldn't even find them uh, digitally the way that everything else was being brought digitally. Well, all that's been changing in the last few months. It's been incredible and exciting for a fan like me to see that DC Universe Infinite, um, which has really upgraded its offerings lately, has um, taken now static icon hardware blood syndicate sort of the founding series of milestone and begin to make them available uh, just as part of your dc universe infinite subscription so super excited about that um, i want to talk today about static uh, which is maybe the most well-known series largely because of the static shock tv show to come out of milestone now, i think if you look at it right now it's june 5th um, you go to the DC Universe Infinite app, you'd be able to see that there are about 12 issues of Static already up there. I just want to talk about the first five. Um, and actually, we're only going to get into detail about probably one issue. But I really want to encourage you to check it out. Uh, if you don't have DC Universe Infinite, you know, grab a subscription. And um, Static is founded, uh, created originally by Dwayne McDuffie, um, legend of... Milestone Comics and legendary black comic creator. And after a few issues, um, McDuffie comes off a of writing, I think probably too busy with all of the chores of leading this outfit. But Robert L. Washington III, who co-writes, continues writing Static. And um, something I'm excited and also sad to talk about, um, the first artist on Static is none other than John Paul Leone. Um, this cover of Static Issue 1 is a Jimmy Palmiotti cover, but uh, you could see in this issue um, seven cover, John Paul Leone's art. Um, John Paul Leone recently passed away, um, untimely and all too, all too soon. And um, he's one of my favorite comics artists. In fact, I'll talk about him in another segment coming up uh, on this stream called the uh, Archival Revival. But John Paul Leone was the the first penciler. Um, 
finished by Steve Mitchell in the early going. Um, later on, Sean Martinborough and others come into ink um, Leon's work, and then other artists, of course, come in. And then uh, you have Nicole Giddings and Steve Haney at color work and letters. Um, Static is truly uh, a breath of fresh air in comics at this time, even today. Um, there are elements to it that uh, are interesting to look at through the lens of 2021. The fact that here in the early 90s, some of the humor and the quipping that you know these young characters make remind us of how some of our uh, standards have changed or uh, how some of you know what's acceptable has changed but i think these creators were really trying to capture the voices of young people there is uh flirtation joking um playing dozens uh even harassment that i think today hard to read but what's great is that the characters push back you can see these young people not only being made fun of about race about their sexual identities uh, ways of flirting that we would look sideways at now um, being in a comic book they throw out the n-word in here but it's just so real to how young people um, especially in urban communities would be talking to each other and um, and these tiny micro negotiations of power between them. I just love how this comic plays those out. And beyond the micro negotiations of power, of course, is the power that Static has, the superpowers, as a superhero. Now, um, the milestone line essentially begins with an event called the Big Bang. And there's a part of what's called the Dakotaverse um, in this kind of fictional New York um, that there's an island called Paris Island. An event called the Big Bang causes these, this uh, explosion of uh, abnormal superpowers that ripples throughout the Dakotaverse. Our hero Virgil, Static, is one of the, the, the people who um, happens to, as we read in issue two, it's a bit of an origin story, uh, be around Paris Island when this occurs. And um, the setup for why he's there is really fascinating. He is uh, being confronted, maybe bullied, by um, someone uh, around his school. And another young man, a character named Larry, hands him a gun and says, this is where he's going to be. you got to go and prove yourself. And so the specter of, of gun violence, of, um, of masculinity, of trying to prove yourself, of um, having to be tough, um, all of that uh, put on young Virgil, who we and I just love the spirit of this character. He has this spark of his um, his heart, his will, his personality, his sense of humor, and uh, there in those early issues, we really see Static um, figuring himself out with these powers. And just like that classic formula in Spider-Man and in so many other comics uh, since the 60s and earlier, Virgil gets to fully be himself in many ways when he is static. There's this unbridled exuberance, this sense of humor, this kind of um, quick-witted quippiness, you know, as well as, um, you know, his, his, uh, his bravery. He's just not shy to confront enemies 
And uh, meanwhile, when he's Virgil, he's frustrated the way an adolescent is by circumstances with family and work and um, friendships and the so social hierarchies at school. So there's all these elements of, uh, you know, classic superhero stories where the superpowers and the costume and the identity that you put on lets you get to fully be yourself in some senses. Um, but it's always a little bit of a mask or a betrayal of the insecurities and the tensions that you may feel. But unlike um, early Peter Parker, I think Virgil has his own gifts and talents, has his own kind of superpowers of personality that um, that he plays out here. You can see him on the phone with Frida, a friend who is also who he pines for in these early issues. I was mentioning that John Paul Leon art, it's pretty extraordinary how young um, Leon was when he was drawing this comic. I mean, he was a teenager himself, but something so incredibly uh, prodigy-like in this uh, in this art uh, that is just so stunning. I mean, Static as a character uh, is all about electricity, right? Is all about energy, and there's a kind of energy of youth that um, fills every single one of these pages. And you take a look at these pages from Static number three, as Static is trying to address a situation, another supervillain showing up. Um, I think this one is called Tarmac, and you can see these scenes that are. Um, glimpses of the kind of art that we're going to love for all of John Paul Leon's, you know, again, cut all too short career, where um, I think Leon is incredibly prolific. We know that about him as an artist in terms of the kinds of the, you know, huge volume of covers that he created. But actually, sometimes what I'm sad about is that we don't have more sequential pages from Leon. To me, it's a treasure that we do have the interior pages that he did in Static so early on because we can see from day one the kind of style that he has, the sensibility that he has, but we also see it get develop more and more throughout these issues. In these pages from Static number three, you can see Leon's characteristic kind of frenetic, uh, almost busy style, especially on this page that um, has all of the sort of uh, debris of battle of warfare you can see static and you know that that sort of like um trench coat that he wears and the wrinkles that flow from it being a, a characteristic way that john paul leon takes these objects and makes them very much alive i mean you know it's it's to me it's like dr strange's cloak uh even though this is not a magical outfit but it just had they just it just kind of takes on a life you can see the the bent light poles and the you know the the buildings crumbling apart and there's always this frenetic and very alive aspect of urban life of city life of the built environment that leon captures so well but there's also it's also always complemented or balanced by these smooth areas, large areas of of um, of kind of open space that Leon often leaves, and that open space, and you can see it on this page here, is sometimes a kind of uncomplicated uh, backdrop or sky, but it often is, as you can see in this page, the human elements, 
What I think is so fascinating about Leon's art is how this very um, detailed and often busy backdrop is set in contrast with um, most often faces, skin, flesh. That is where characters look iconic. And you can see on this page, poor young Virgil is dealing with that tension. Again, that reminds us so much of Peter Parker or Miles Morales today of the conflict between his job and wanting to keep his job and um, his mom's gonna be on him if he loses this job and the pull of superhero um, obligations and trying to save some lives. He doesn't have a choice and he's torn. And you can see that in the, um, the sweat that Virgil often has when he's in these situations of tension as a person who sweats way too much because I'm always stressing. I love that about Virgil. He's always got this like, oh my gosh, going on on his face. But it's also, I think, so beautiful that, um, uh, you know, in a scene that's emotionally heavy like this, Leon, even as a young artist, has an intuition to um, keep the busyness of the backdrop of the diner, but to let the large spaces of, you know, of, of art that's not busy that's not overly detailed that just has the subtlety of those drops of sweat uh, really take out the really really highlight the emotional elements of a scene like this you can see that um later on uh, i think it's ne next few pages they're in the subway and these dynamics that i was talking about earlier between static between virgil and his friends here's frida here's his other kind of crew of friends and they're talking about um whether Static has a chance in this next fight with Tarmac. And Frida, who is, you know, the one that Virgil is uh, is going after, is is worried and is skeptical. And the, the way that they talk to each other, the subtle positioning of the bodies, even how Virgil musters his pride to stand up and say, hmm, I don't think so, in the way that Frida is... Um, free-spirited and independent she has her own perspectives how those interplays are drawn are just um uh, uh, on top of the the robert l washington dialogue that is um so real to young people talking like especially in the early 90s it's just the best it's just the best so listen static 1 to 12 um are available now on um, dc universe infinite encourage you to check it out love to hear your thoughts um hit me up uh in the comments or at two ply on twitter and um let me know what you think is now a good time is a, is now is a good time to read static as well because i think mid-june the new static series is coming out so a good time to get caught up on the character to compare how milestone of the 90s and milestone of the 2020s um, contrasts so pick that up. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commanding. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. 
please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. Polybagged is our segment here on the Comic Syllabus where we look at new comics that show up in comic book shops every week. They just uh, keep coming every week um, on Wednesdays. And so for this is this is for the week of June 2nd, 2021. Um, we're going to look at four different titles and some honorable mentions. Starting with... Firepower number 12 from Image Comics, written by Robert Kirkman with art by Chris Somney. Kirkman, of course, is the writer of comics you know, like The Walking Dead and Invincible. Have you heard of those? Um, but uh, Kirkman has been working on a few series going on right now. And honestly, the only one that I'm really following is Firepower. Um, I'm not always a, a huge um Kirkman fan those two series I mentioned I, I, I read a whole lot of um, and after a while it just seemed like a churn um, to be honest um, he knows how to do a plot twist I'll tell you that um, but Chris Somney is an artist um, who I've admired uh, so much in, throughout his career and um, you can see it in the work here this is the 12th issue of this series it started out actually with a, a really unique kind of publishing strategy it started as a um, original graphic novel which was the first volume and then the first six issues i think were collected into the second volume um, so they really came out with this story with a splash and i love the way that the first graphic novel sort of told its own story but really set us up for um, a, a dramatic shift in the circumstances of our main character who you can see here on the cover and um and really set up this world and it's a world where um where uh you know martial arts sort of masters hide secrets that involve dragons and the ability to shoot fireballs um so it's a pretty uh um maybe familiar sequence of martial arts story tropes um but as a chance for chris somney to really display what he can do as an artist um and you know robert kirkman knows how to weave a good yarn and so the uh the story has been um it's sometimes paced in a way that I would rather read it in trade, but I haven't been able to help it. I just read it every month. Um, sometimes that pacing is because um, Chris Somney is given room to do what he does so well as a, as a visual storyteller. Um, you get pages like these panels that you can see right here where um, the shifts and reactions and, and how characters respond to situations gets to be shown rather than told. And I just love it when an artist gets a chance to show their chops and do that kind of thing. Um, so, you know, you get martial arts action, which Somni is just impeccable at drawing. You get um, all kinds of dramatics, you get humor, um, lots of family stuff in this book. Um, this is the 12th issue. It's a little oversized. And I think what was surprising to me about it, because now this is the end of counting the original graphic novel, the first six issues, and now this six issues. Uh, it's really the end of the third arc of the book, and I was surprised at the resolution that it came to. Um, not to give anything away, but I'm used to a Robert Work Kirkman story trying to catch us all by surprise. So I just kept waiting for the other shoe to drop. And what I can say about this now is that sometimes being full of surprises means not necessarily trying to surprise you. So I think Kirkman is doing something good here. Um, and Chris Somney is always doing something good. Um, I'm enjoying Firepower and um, I think you should check it out. This is one book where I've handed um, a pile of the trades and the individual issues to my brother and said, hey, have fun with this. 
it's a good time. And that brings us to um, Iron Fist, Heart of the Dragon. Some similarities here, obviously, in terms of milieu and context. Um, but this one is written by a classic writer, Larry Hama, um, who was, uh, I I've only come to appreciate in the latter years, one of the pathbreaking Asian American comics creators uh, in the field in American comics. And Larry Hama wrote a ton of stuff uh, for G.I. Joe and lots and lots and lots of other comics, Wolverine, you name it. Um, and here, Hama is accompanied by artist Dave Wachter, who has lent his talents to um, a lot of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comics in the last few years. And here, I think, does a very um, more than respectable job with Iron Fist. Now, this is a six-issue miniseries, which Hama and Wachter and team um, Naraj Menon on colors, uh, VCs Travis Lanham on letters, have really done a... Um, an admirable job of extending the universe of um, Danny Rand Iron Fist which can be a little bit one note um, itself and I think it's hard to shake the feeling of you know when there was a rallying cry around the Iron Fist TV show on Netflix that there really ought to be an Asian heritage Iron Fist um, I know we're getting Shang-Chi uh, in the movies and that show was certainly a disappointment. Um, but Hama and Wachter build a lot on a, I think it's 2013 or 2014, uh, 12 issue run Iron Fist uh, Living Weapon, I believe it was, um, written and drawn by Kari Andrews. And maybe that was the last time we really immersed ourselves in Danny Rand's world and introduced several characters that we've been able to see in this series. Now, Wachter has a penchant, as you can imagine, from a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles artist for really drawing um, lively and um, dramatic creatures. We see that here in the our, our hero, really our heroes, trying to figure out the magic to stop the cities from being taken over by the great evil. <laughs> you get the picture. Uh, Larry Hama does know how to plot an adventure comic, and it is a fun story across the six issues uh, culminates here in this last issue and what I've really loved about this is that the creators have centered Okoye who is the um, Dora Milaje soldier from Wakanda that has been around a long time but we've gotten to know especially much uh, see especially more of since the Black Panther movie and Okoye gets to in this series minor spoilers uh, take on some of the powers of the Iron Fist mysticism, and um, and you'd find you'll find out here in this last issue. Again, minor spoilers. I hope this does. I don't think this ruins the story. Um, gets to you get to see Okoye take on the powers and then decide what to do with the powers. Um, you also see some of the characters that were uh, introduced in Iron Fist: The Living Weapon. Let's just say that there's characters in here named uh, Fat Cobra and uh, the Bride of Nine Spiders, as well as Pei, the little girl, and, and Gork the Dragon, and Fu, that, are, that were introduced in that uh, previous Iron Fist series. In a way, having the story revolve around this bigger cast of characters, rather than yet another kind of like lone warrior type of figure, allows Iron Fist to be richer than sort of the white savior. Um, that sometimes a character like him can be prone to become. 
Um, so hats off to Larry Hama for a well-written story. Uh, Dave Wachter does um, an entertaining job, um, a really effective job drawing this story. And, uh, and now that it's complete, I can sort of wholeheartedly recommend it in single issues or in a collection uh, for you to enjoy Iron Fist, The Heart of a Dragon. Um, we go now to um, a series from a creator who I've been really interested in seeing where his work would go. Um, Tyler Boss is the artist of Four Kids Walking in the Bank, um, which Matthew Rosenberg wrote a number of years back. And although Rosenberg's uh, humor and uh, style were a lot of what made Four Kids Walk into a Bank work really well and, and was really one of my favorite comics of that year, it was actually Tyler Boss's art that made the book stand out to me. So Boss now has done a four-issue miniseries for Dark Horse called Dead Dogs Bite. And the fourth issue is out now, so you can pick up this whole story as well. Dead Dog's Bite is basically about a smallish town that is built around a peppermint factory and a girl who's gone missing and another girl who obviously um, cares very much for her. Um, not being content to just let this missing person case drop. And so sort of pursues herself trying to find out uh, what's going on, uh, where where her friend disappeared to, and we get hints of all kinds of secrets of this town and why others seem to be um, not on the case. <laughs> um, so Dead Dog's Bite does um, a lot of the cool stuff that you saw Tyler Boss do in Four Kids Walk Into a Bank. Pages with nine panel grids or 12 panel grids or innovative use of characters walking across different pages um, lots of panels of sort of repetition but repetition purposefully used to create rhythm to their speech or um, tension and reaction in their in relationships and um, and here you see that especially in these last two issues uh, it's gotten pretty terrifying as uh, as we get into the town's secrets a bit more and find out exactly why this uh, this friend went missing. Um, again, not to give anything away, I think this book is worth checking out for Tyler Boss's stylistics. I think that so much of what made Four Kids Walk Into a Bank effective shows up here in the visual storytelling. Maybe what feels missing is some of the voice that Rosenberg brought to that series. Some of the lightness, some of the humor, um, and in a way the the characters that Rosenberg's storytelling sort of um, infused had these different notes that Tyler Boss's art could really bring to life and I don't see that same depth in these characters. Uh, maybe it's because of the genre and really expecting a different note but I just wasn't getting a whole lot from the story itself or didn't find myself caring about the characters. I did about our main character but just the rest of the town. It left me cold and again, maybe that was the intention with this kind of a story, but I am still just blown away with what Tyler Boss can do with a page. I am still here for whatever Boss will do next, and I think this story is worth checking out if you have a knack and interest in this kind of a story, the kind of unsettling small town. Um, to see Boss's talents applied to it, uh, I think this, that's worth checking out for you. So, Dead Dog's Bite one through four from Dark Horse Comics. And finally, we come to Noctera number four. Now we're getting to um, some creators again, um, speaking of Robert Kirkman, who are really well known 
<laughs> and uh, respected in the industry. And I respect Scott Snyder. I'm just not necessarily a Scott Snyder person. I think some of the death metal stuff at DC, um, even some of the um, you know critically lauded work. And again, maybe it's because I just have don't have a strong in inclination toward horror. Um, but some of the the work that Scott Snyder has done in the past has has felt to me a little bit um, well redundant. Um, and I think that there is a way that Snyder really made a splash with American Vampire. I liked reading that. After a while, the Batman work started to feel like we were treading some of the same territory. The multiversal stuff that um, Snyder was up to in DC, I just had a really hard time following. It seemed to be perpetual. And, <laughs> and um, the creator-owned stuff at, at uh, places like Image um, were just maybe a little bit more horror than to my taste. Although I like the Undiscovered Country series that um, Snyder's been doing with Charles Soule and, and Kamunkoli. But I gotta say that Noctera 4 surprised me. Um, I should say Noctera number 1 through 4 surprised me in how engaged I was in it. I gave it a shot. Tony S. Daniel is somebody who I feel similarly about as I do with Snyder, except on the art side. Um, I can respect the craft. I just didn't necessarily feel warm to it myself. And when Noctera number one, uh, you know, when the previews came out, I, I kind of kept it off my list as, as something that just had some of the aesthetics of um, stuff I wasn't necessarily interested in. And so I was really caught by surprise when the story, which is really premised on um, a world that's called the great, you know, where the, the great PM has occurred. And essentially some kind of um, shadow has come over the whole world. And when um, these sort of zombified creatures of darkness, including animals and then humans, grabs hold of you and you don't have, if you don't have a light to shine on them, then you turn into one of these shadow creatures, you become infected as well. And I think what made Noctera work for me in the early goings has been this connection of a kind of sentimentality to family that makes this sort of post-apocalyptic, you know, we have to journey from one place to another, try to save a last remnant against all of the zombies and so forth. There's been a family heart that um, keeps it um, somewhat soulful. My fear with a Scott Snyder story is that it becomes so lost in the weeds and I can feel it heading that way a little bit even here in issue four of the intrigue, the characters, the villains, you know, all of that and it loses that kind of um, emotional stakes in family that make this story and stories like it work for me. Um, but so far I'm hanging on um, our main characters traveling with her brother and we find out in flashbacks how she and her brother really survived the initial kind of catastrophe and social collapse of the great PM and we find out now in the present day as she takes a group of you know um, uh, or rather I should say a couple of people who seem like they might have the answers or might have a way out of this take them across you know long distance and big truck and there's lots of shooting shadow creatures and stuff like that but her brother has been infected with this uh shadow darkness or whatever and um and so i would say noctera for me right now is a wait and see i'm following it issue by issue and it's grabbing me for now um but i think it's worth 
checking out. Um, for me, I think the verdict is still out. So, um, so far I'm aboard and uh, we'll see how the how far the Noctera train takes us. Um, those are the comics, the single issues that I've been following this week. You can see my honorable mentions list um, in Marvel. Um, weirdly, I find myself reading a whole lot more DC. Uh, a whole lot more DC is on my pull list right now than Marvel. But uh, in Marauders and some of the other Krakoa books, the X books, there's the Hellfire Gala event. Um, that seems like a lot of fun if I can figure out what's going on. <laughs> Nonstop Spider-Man number three has upcoming issues delayed, but it features one of my favorite artists, Chris Bacallo, so I'm going to be for that. Um, and in Swamp Thing, I continue to read uh, Green Lantern number three. Um, this Batman Fortnite zero point that has got a lot of people excited, even though I'm just not a Fortnite person, um, it's pretty good. And it's coming out on DC Universe Infinite, so I'm just reading along with that. Um, I like uh, Mariko Tamaki, so Crush and Lobo number one. Surprising to me that a Lobo book is on my list, but hey, Harley Quinn book is on my list right now, so I can always... Uh, uh, I, I'm open to being surprised. <laughs> um, over at Image Comics, um, Deadly Class kind of continues on, marching into issue 46. Wow, it's incredible. I have a lot of catching up to do in that book, um, but I will. <laughs> and uh, Family Tree number 12 brings that series to a wrap-up. Bliss number 8 also brings that series to a wrap-up, so I'm kind of excited to read both of those in their completion. Um, and a couple of new things, one from Actor Aftershot called Out of Body, and one um, from Black Mask called Everfrost are, I think, worth looking at. I got to take a look at a preview of both of those, and uh, they seem good. So maybe I'll talk about those in the next coming weeks. Um, and you can tell from the pattern of this episode that um, Polybagged is going to be a way for, for me to check in with some series. I, I think I'll occasionally talk about some number ones, but I'm maybe a little bit more interested in a rundown of some number fours or number 14s or number 40s that um, are series that I've given kind of a more of a shot to show me what they're about and and I think that's what I want to discuss so anyway let me know what you're reading what you think about some of these series um, what you think I should be reading um, comments at multiversity.com or um, hit me up on social media in the show notes thanks so much for joining and take care